0: What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in and checking out the Hustle the Most podcast. This is episode three, and today we're going to be talking about betting against the odds. With every hustle, there is always some sort of risk. Sometimes it's little, sometimes it's a lot, but in the end, I think you really need to go with your gut and just hope that you're right and hope that it pays off. I had this chance to go to California when I was like 12 years old. One of my good friends of my neighborhood, his dad lived somewhere around, I think the San Diego area. I think he lived in Santee, California. I'm not sure that that's a place, but I think it is. And he was going out there to visit his dad, and he asked me if I wanted to come along. And I was 12 years old. I'd never really been anywhere in my life other than Sandusky, Ohio, to the lovely Cedar Point home of the most amazing roller coasters. And uh, I was pretty psyched to go and I thought it was gonna be kind of cool and I thought it was kinda be like a trip of a lifetime, you know, I'd never been anywhere, so this is gonna be awesome. So I'd never been on a plane or even driven really anywhere far. So this really seemed like like the cool idea. So, you know, my next uh, my next barrier that I encountered was was my dad and, and, and how this was gonna happen. So I sat down with my dad And I kind of timed out this conversation pretty strategically. I started out to tell him how I had this amazing opportunity. And it was going to be fantastic. And it was very much a, what do I have to do to put you in this used car today type conversation. And so I I sat down and asked my dad if I could go. And he was like, yeah, of course. Like, that that sounds awesome. And like, he agreed right away with, with almost no questions asked. Which I thought was a little bit strange, looking back at it. My dad even said, "You can go, and I'll even give you a hundred bucks to spend while you're there." And keep in mind, like I was twelve years old. This was so awesome. I was gonna get to go on this cool trip, and I was gonna get money, and I was just gonna have awesome time. California sun, whatever it was, you know. But thinking back, he answered the questions almost too quickly. It was kind of like uh, uh, you know, when your friend is like, uh, you know, "I'll bet you a hundred bucks I can jump over this creek," and your response is. Right off the bat, I'll bet you a thousand because you know that you're so confident this person would never make it and that would never happen. So you know this was this was 1990, and 100 bucks went pretty far, and I was pretty pumped. So I was uh I had a, had an idea, and I got permission to go, and I was I was ready. So and I remember at the time, um, this was kind of another kind of caveat to the to the story is that you know I remember that my parents pretty much forbid me to be anywhere near a skateboard. They obviously didn't want another huge hospital bill coming to the house, and I don't think my mouth could have really handled another curbing uh, like it happened earlier. And so my dad, he's a little more forgiving than my mom was, and and he, you know, I was the last of five kids, and so my brothers and sisters kind of paved the way for me, which is pretty awesome. Being a younger child, like you do, kind of get the crap and get the brunt of things, but sometimes it does have its benefits. And so I had this conversation with my dad about a week after he agreed to let me go to California. And it was about a skateboard. And again, this was supposed to be a persuasive conversation and obviously go in my favor. That was the goal. And it went something like, you know, dad, uh, you know, California is really known for, for skateboarding and like the ocean and California sun. And if I go to California, I really want to be able to enjoy myself and to make the most of my time there. Which really means that I want to be a good skateboarder when I get there. And my dad, of course, is like, you're not allowed to ride a skateboard. And my thought is, you know, but dad, I don't, you know, I want to be a skateboarder and I don't want to be learning when I'm out there. I think it'd be really frustrating. I think I should be able to get a skateboard and learn to skate before I get to California. I must have sold it pretty hard because my dad agreed. And he said, you can have a skateboard. That's fine. That's, that's, That's cool. I was pretty pumped, but then he gave me two conditions. The first condition was, You could never, ever tell your mother. And if she finds out that you have a skateboard, I will completely deny it and say I did not know anything about it. And so I was like, Okay, that seems fair enough. And the second one was, I am not going to buy it for you. So my my brain starts working, like, okay, I've uh I figured this out before, like how can I figure this out? So now that I had my conditional approval of what I was going to do, um, this is where I started using my, my creativity to, to figure out how this was going to happen, how I was going to make it, make it work for me. This is kind of the part of the story where I really started learning about um, perceived value over monetary value. And I learned a little more about swapping and trading, kind of pulling some of those flea market antics that I had uh, earlier in life. And so for years before this, I had been Uh, returning beer cans and soda cans. Obviously, I wasn't old enough to drink, but there were some beer cans around my house and some soda cans. And so in Michigan, we get 10 cents as a return for every soda can and beer can that we turn in, which is awesome. You get 10 cans, you get a buck. It's awesome. Here's kind of how it went. So I ended up using a lot of that money to buy baseball cards. I was pretty big into baseball cards. This is probably 1989, 1990, around then, and uh, I used to hang out in the neighborhood on the porch with friends and trade cards for hours and hours. Uh, There was a lot of all-day trading sessions um, really around 1989, tops and Fleer cards. If you know anything about cards or collecting cards, these probably will sound familiar to you. It was awesome. So once in a while, kids would show up with some crazy cards that they had got from a card show or for like their birthday, you know. We're looking at like, you know, Al alkaline cards and Babe Ruth cards and Hank Aaron cards, stuff like that. Sometimes it's, you know, a little more closer to home, like Alan Trammell rookie cards or stuff like that. So it was pretty cool, and you know, a lot of these kids actually went through, you know, phases of collecting cards. Well, they'll be into it for a little while and they'll kind of fall off and start doing something else, get really into sports or you know, collect comics or whatever it is. Uh, Me personally, I actually went from cards to comics and kind of back to cards and kind of dabbled in between and did both for a really long time. I had a good amount of both cards and comics and knew a lot about them, kept up on the pricing, kind of knew what they were worth, make sure they're in good condition, stuff like that. And there's actually a lot of cool card shops um, around town. There's a, a handful that, you know, some smaller than others. but I remember one in particular, we used to ride our bikes to called Mike's Upper Deck, which was, I think it was on Fenton Road, but we kind of went the back way to get there, not down the main road. And it was, it was pretty cool. It was a small shop and it was just packed full of cards, all kinds of stuff. And sometimes they had jerseys in there and they had, you know, hats that were signed and helmets and all kinds of stuff. And so I remember specifically that the guy in the shop, I think his name was Mike, I think the place was called Mike's Upper Deck. I don't remember really much about him other than that he and his cronies that kinda of work there did not care at all for Jose Conseco. And Jose Conseco at the time was like my dude. He was like he was like, That's the, the go to card for me. And if I could get a Conseco card and tops and Donruss and Fleer and different years, then you get the the McGuire card, I think it's like a forty forty club, something like that. I was way into it, and I remember they had these twelve inch kind of like figures, above these plastic baseball figures. They might even have been porcelain. We weren't really allowed to touch them. They were up pretty, pretty high. I remember me being super pumped, like, oh, I want to get one of these. They were like a hundred bucks, or maybe a little more. And I was like telling the guy behind the counter, I'm like, oh, I really like to get that Conseco one. And the owner looks at me and just straight up says oh man, he's like, Canseco's a putz. He's like, take Gibson, which was like the next figure over, and it was actually a a Dodgers um, Gibson, so he played for the Tigers for a while, and then he actually is a Michigan native. I think he's grew up in maybe Saginaw or Detroit is where he's born. Pontiac. I think he was born in Pontiac. And so they were pretty big Tigers fans, and so um, they were pretty big Gibson fans, and so they definitely did not want me to have the Canseco one at, at, at any cost, so they probably would have broke it before they sold it to me, but I'm not really sure why they had it either way. I spent a lot of time up there and it was pretty cool. And it was kind of neat just to get to go in like a little kid in the candy store. And I just had a great time going there. Every time I was there, it was awesome. But this was actually how I started kind of conceiving my big idea for how I was going to get my skateboard for my, for my big trip coming to the West coast. So I kind of started with baseball cards and, it was really the only thing I had that was worth anything. And my thought was, I have cards. uh, You know, I care about them. They're cool, but I want to go on this trip. So, you know, you have to sacrifice something to get something else, right? A little opportunity cost. So I knew this kid up the street who collected comics and he also collected cards and he kind of went back and forth and flip flop like I did. And he wasn't like a kid that I hung out with all the time, but just someone I knew in my neighborhood. And, you know, we'd see each other from time to time, rider bikes around or whatever so I ended up humping a few monster boxes up to his house and along with like some some books and some cases and some hard cases that you kept your good cards in and we really swapped mainly cards for comics and some comics for cards and this was kind of the start of the plan this was like you know how can I do some swapping and some trading to get kind of what I need to to keep moving forward and no money, no money exchange. None of us had money. We all spend it on dumb stuff like cards and comics and candy and whatever else. There's actually some kids around the corner from me that were really into skateboarding. And they had all the skate stuff. And I think I think they were really just getting new skate stuff and never really got rid of the old stuff. So they had uh, just all kinds of stuff. And they were really into comics and cards and stuff like that. And I traded with them once in a while. So they kind of knew what I had. and knew what my comic collection looked like and I had done a lot of trading with them but so I had to, you know, try to get some stuff that they didn't have and get some stuff that they hadn't seen before. So I traded with the kid up the street and got all kinds of new stuff, different stuff, you know, making bigger trades, trying to get more valuable stuff. And so I ended up swapping these cards for comics and then these comics for skateboard parts. And so through this kind of series of trades, you know, I was able to to get myself kind of where I wanted to go. And I think when it was all said and done, I ended up with this set of blue venture trucks that I think were spray painted blue. They looked pretty rotten and, uh, some bullet coffin cut wheels and a spoon nose, Billy ruff pro model. And it was not pretty. It was kind of uh, all used and beat up, but it was mine. And if you don't know what those words mean, Billy rough and, and bullet coffin cut and all this stuff, they're just skateboard parts um uh, collectively they made up a skateboard that I was able to ride and so it was uh it was pretty good and uh kind of fortuitous to me to have all those things and be able to put them all together so but I'll give you a quick spoiler uh I never made it to California that summer I never made it it was a uh, apparently it was a pipe dream and you know what's funny looking back at it now there was probably like a 3% chance that I would have ever made it to California I mean the tickets then we were probably 200 to 400 bucks, and we always had zero bucks. So I'm not really sure how we would afford a ticket. And I think that even back then, the only way you could really get a ticket is I think you would have to go to a travel agency or to the airport. I think they sold them at the airport. I'm not sure. I imagine they did. They do now. I think they probably still did. There were no deals to be found, there's no price line, there's no Expedia, no internet. And uh, I think I would really have a better chance of riding my new skateboard all the way to California than actually flying there. Um, it's funny. My dad actually kind of played me a little bit and looking back at it, it's kind of funny to, to think about, you know, those conversations and how he was so quick to be like, yeah, you can go. Of course I'll even give you money. He knew that I would probably get over it. He knew that this was just a flash in the pan idea that I would probably just forget about. And I think, I think this happens a lot with kids in, in, really in adults too, as we get busy and get carried away with stuff, um, you know, a good idea doesn't always mean you're going to follow through with it, but sometimes you just can't kind of contain that initial excitement. It just kind of gets excited and get in your bones and you just talk about it and talk about it. And, you know, I'm sure we've all had those ideas and you have a friend that's just like, God, are you going to do something with this idea? Or, you know, two months later, like whatever happened to that idea? And you're like, yeah, you know, uh, you know, <laughs> It's real, it's real easy for that to happen. You know, but, but thinking back on it, my dad really just played the odds. You know, he told me, of course I could go. I'll even give you money. He knew I wasn't going. He knew I would forget about it. But here's the cool thing, and I think this is an awesome strategy as a parent. Rather than make me upset, he kind of took the chance and let it all ride on the fact that I would just forget about it. And he was absolutely right. My dad totally hustled me. And so looking back, you know, what did I learn from all this? What did I learn from my dad hustling me? It's funny because thinking back at it, I was the one that sat him down and had these used car salesman conversations. I thought I was winning that fight of, I'm going to get this and it's going to be awesome. And I'm going to sell this idea. And then after the idea, I'm going to sell the second idea, which is me getting a skateboard, even though it was forbidden to have skateboards. And I was like, yes, I got it. But in the end, you know, I ended up trading just a bunch of crap for a crappy board. And my dad was the winner. It's this crazy thing about it now. It's, it's, it's totally crazy. He just completely hustled me. And so what I really learned from all this, um, in this whole, whole like selling and trading and, buying and, and, and swapping time to get what you, trying to get what you want. I really learned that you, you have to know your content. Whenever you're selling something or hustling something or, or trying to buy something, you have to know what it's worth. You have to do your research. You have to understand that landscape. And if you don't, there's a good chance that you're going to get burned. It happens from time to time. As long as you know what you're selling, what it's worth, and what someone's willing to pay for it, there's a good chance that you could succeed. I really also learned that the value doesn't always mean valuable. You know, there, the, the word value is in that word, but it doesn't always mean that way. Um, think about your favorite things in the world, the favorite things that you own, that, um, that you cherish. These things are probably not expensive things, but they have value to you. They have personal value. So if someone broke into your house and stole your TV off the wall, you would be mad, but you could replace it. If they broke in and stole a $10 ring that your dad gave you when you passed away that you could not replace, your world would come crashing down. So it's really all about kind of the perceived value and the personal value. Um, and what something's worth to you. I think that lastly, um, I think that, you know, we'll always be learning. And you really have to be open to it. My dad only bet on the odds against me because he had four kids before me. He had four kids to put him through the ringer. And, um, he learned a lot from that. He learned how to navigate those situations. He learned what that landscape looked like well before I was even born. And, uh, you know, he thought that the odds were in his favor based on his experience. He made that call and he was absolutely right. As always, thank you for listening and checking out the Hustle the Most podcast. This was episode three. Check out more stories, more photos, and connect with us at hustlethemost.com. We'll see you on the next one.